you're listening to a podcast from Every Nation Canberra. In this Back to Basics message, Nathan Ricabo shares the foundational truths behind the parable of the sower. Jesus was the greatest storyteller and the greatest teacher in history, and it's clear in his use of very simple parables. But as we'll see, simple does not necessarily mean easy to understand. During the time of Jesus, this kind of imagery was very much an everyday sight, as agriculture was such a prominent part of their lifestyle. They would very often come across uh, a sower in the field doing exactly this kind of thing. He would be out in the field with seeds in a basket or a sack, scattering the seed just as in this passage. In reality, you wouldn't be wanting to spend your day slowly and carefully planting your seed in certain spots. They didn't have time for that, and seed was much more abundant than time. They would just scatter it all over the field wherever they could to maximize the potential of having good crop being yield. So in the parable, Jesus locates four areas that the seed ends up falling. First on the pathway, second on rocky places, third among the thorns, and finally, on good soil. So let's start with the pathway. On the pathway, we have dead, hard earth that folks around would have trodden over, and no seed could ever plant its roots in there. Uh, There's no soil for the nutrients, and no soft ground to dig into. If there was even an ounce of a chance that roots could potentially form, the birds would put that to zero as they would come in and eat it up. The second fell on rocky places. Now, don't think that this is an area covered by stones and visible pebbles or anything like that, like we commonly see in illustrations, even like this one here. A a sower would not be so careless as to leave such sort of rocks and pebbles um, on the the field. They would want to remove that, uh, of course, to make sure that the seed had a chance to actually grow in their land. No, this is more like a, a bedrock under the soil. This image here, if you could see it as a bit of a cross-section, where there's a bit of um, grass there, a bit of soil, and underneath, uh, very shallowly, a a layer of bedrock. It's low enough where the sower would not have seen it and pulled it out, but it's high enough so that the soil above is not so deep as to let any seed that lands there live a long life. The roots do not dig uh, in deep enough, don't plant their roots well enough, and so they scorch up and they die. Thirdly, we have our seeds that fall among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. This time, the earth is soft enough and deep enough for the roots to properly form, but it is not alone in this portion of field. Anyone with the slightest and smallest experience of gardening would probably know the pains of weeds in the garden and the constant need to pull them out, yet they just keep coming back and keep coming back. And they seem to grow faster than any of the plants seem to and are even more persistent. So, even when we think we've dug them out, a root lurks underneath or something that a remnant of a seemingly dead part of the weed manages to take hold of the soil again, clings to the soil for survival, and soon it will grow back up and choke the the plants that have grown there, and either those plants will die or they will not have the nutrients to produce fruit. Finally, we have the good soil which produced good crops of many multitudes. And we should notice here that the profit is not how many more seeds this first seed produced. It's the crop, it's the fruit of the seeds. That's what determines a true profit here. Growing 30, 60, or 100-fold. One one piece of fruit, one crop can yield much more grain that the farmer can use again and start sowing again more and more. 
as uh, discussed earlier, Jesus spoke to a community whose lifeline was agriculture. They may very well have seen this exact scene being played as he spoke this parable on the seaside. They did not need this breakdown uh, to understand the full depth and nuance of the, of the story of the sower. However, not everyone was ready to understand the true meaning of his parables. And so Jesus explained it to his disciples and other followers afterwards. Reading from verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him in, uh, with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But, to those, uh, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path, where the word is sown when they hear. Uh, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the, those who hear the word, but the cares of the word and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's briefly explore the context of when Jesus decided to speak in parables, with this parable being the first recorded one, as mentioned before. It was shortly after he had healed on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees had accused Jesus not to have healed by the power of God, but the power of the devil, of Beelzebub. They had committed an unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And from then on, his teachings were in a much more cryptic form, uh, such as the form of parabolic teaching. The religious leaders had rejected Jesus despite directly witnessing his miracles. So Jesus switched up teaching styles, as, as it is discussed here in verse 11, where the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything is said in parables. Verse 12 further also discusses that those who would reject his teachings would hear the parables, but not understand them, lest they be turned and forgiven. Now, that's a really interesting thing to hear, isn't it? That Jesus would purposely make his teachings cryptic so that people could not understand and be saved. But there is more to why he said it this way. He was referring to uh, the story in the Old Testament with Isaiah, and God had told Isaiah to say things to the hardened hearts of Israel, knowing that they wouldn't believe. And so that's why he, he used this sort of language. In reality, he's, he's using such cryptic language to actually save the unbeliever from even further judgment. In Matthew 11, Jesus explains it, that it would be worse judgment for those in Jewish towns like Chorazon or Bethsaida who witnessed his miracles than Gentile towns like Tyre or Sidon. These towns like Bethsaida, they had knowledge, they witnessed the miracles, but they rejected Christ anyway. Jesus says that these will have harsher judgment because of that. They knew better, but didn't do anything about it. Jesus already knew that there would be listeners who uh, would have rejected him, even if his message was clear as day. So by teaching in this more cryptic parable, those that would not have accepted Christ at the beginning would have been saved from more severe judgment on the day of judgment. So we could talk more about the reason for parables and everything, but I'll leave it to here for now and focus on Jesus' explanation of this particular parable. So Jesus makes it very clear in verse 14 that 
the seed is the word of God. And the soil represents the people who hear the word and the state of their hearts when they receive it. The path that has been beaten and hardened by those that travel past the field, they are the greater world. They are the unbelievers. They hear the word, but they do not respond to it. The message of salvation never takes root in the heart of these people. And Satan, who is represented by the birds, will take that word away from their hearts through other beliefs, through worldly and ungodly desires, through temptations or worries of the world in other ways. Some will just outright hate and reject the gospel. And let's be honest, this is the majority of the world back in Jesus' time and today. And yet we've only covered the first of the four areas that the seed lands. So the question is then, what are the other three, if not those who are already unbelievers or those who reject the word straight away? Well, let's look at the second. Let's look at the seed on stony ground. These are those who hear the word at once and receive it with joy. Uh, however, it lasts only a short time. These are the hearts of what many label stony ground Christians. The idea of following Jesus isn't a burden. If anything, it, it sounds pretty cool. But every Christian's faith will be tested. If they do not have deep roots, then when that sun comes up, the trials and tribulations of life, they toss their so-called faith to the ground and they walk away from it. So let's keep those sort of people in mind for a second and think about who we may know that may fit that description. Maybe it's someone who once claimed to be a Christian but decided to walk away due to uh, the world telling them that science doesn't agree with Christianity. Perhaps it's someone who has seen too much suffering in the world and thinks there's no way a God could exist if there's all this suffering. Perhaps it's someone who thought that the role of God was to answer our prayers and not that we are to serve God. And so when an important prayer wasn't answered, they walk away from the faith. I have a friend actually who at one point he was going through a very tough time. He went through depression, he went through anxiety, and he told me that he tried to become a Christian. He prayed the sinner's prayer. He believed that God would help him through that depression and anxiety, but it didn't happen. He still went through all that trouble in his heart. He still went through a really dark time. So the result of that was he threw away Christianity. He decided that, that couldn't be real and went for New Age religion instead because he felt that the cycle of good and bad was a better truth than the real truth of God. So let's think about who we might know who may be stony ground Christians. The third is the seed that was sown among the thorns. Verses 18 and 19 tell us this area represents the heart of those who hear the word, but the worries and desires of life choke the word and make it unfruitful. Unlike the seeds on the path, these seeds do grow. And unlike the seeds on the stony ground, they do not die, not quickly at least. These are the people who hear the word and live life. They call themselves Christian. They call themselves followers of the Christ. You know, they might even attend church every week. They might tithe. They might go to Bible studies. They might pray to God whenever they need something. But the world's distractions or misguided teachings or worries and desires that are not of God, they cause these hearts to be misguided. They don't produce any fruit. And what is the use of a seed that is planted if it produces no crop? If we are unfruitful and we do not multiply, so what's the use of that? Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about such things. Matthew 7 tells us what happens to those who do not bear good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This reminds me of the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelations. They lived their Christian lives half-heartedly. They claimed the faith, but did not live it. And they didn't show any sort of lifestyle that showed repentance of heart. And such is the fate of the fruitless, thorny ground Christian. They will be spat out of the mouth of God, or spewed out, vomited out, as it even says in the King James Version, and cut down, thrown into the fire. As written in Matthew seven twenty-one to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It would be a terrifying thing to find that out on the day of judgment rather than today when we still have a chance to really examine our hearts. But Jesus, of course, does not name every heart to be so unprepared for his word. Those that fall on the good soil are those that hear the word, that accept it and produce good crop, 30, 60, 100 fold. These are those that follow Jesus wholeheartedly and that we will know them by their fruits. These are those who live their life out in faith, who share the word with their friends, with their community, who really show that God is first and foremost in their lives. So what more can we learn from all of this? As mentioned before, we know that the seed is the word of God. And in all four areas that the seed lands, nothing is different about the seed. The seed in the good soil is not some genetically modified one or specifically placed in certain areas. It wasn't some sort of artificial seed. It is the unadulterated, raw and complete word of God. What I'm trying to say is that it's good to tell non-believers um, of God's blessings to you. It's good to encourage one another of God's plan for you. But we need to share his word, his gift of salvation and his sacrifice to redeem us. This is the word that will truly take root in good soil. That through sin, man has fallen short of God's standard and law, and we have justly earned the wages of death. Through our own works, we will fall short of making up for our sin, because no one is good enough to work their way to heaven. There is a standard in heaven that we could never accomplish on our own. But through Jesus, we have been redeemed and our sins paid for by his sacrifice on the cross. Through faith and repentance in that, we have the gift of salvation. Jesus used this knowledge of the law and how even the Jews fell short of fulfilling all of these laws. You know, he would say, you haven't committed adultery. Well, if you had looked at another woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. He was showing the people that the law was further than just not the actions, but the heart of a person as well. And no one was able to perfectly, uh, perfectly um, keep all of these commandments and laws. They knew that they needed to put their faith in a savior, to put their faith in him. And if God the Son had used this message while he walked among us, we know that this is the right way to go. Now, even Jesus had listeners whose hearts were of the path, like the Pharisees who rejected him, or of thorny ground, like Judas Iscariot, whose greed choked the word and he betrayed him, or of stony ground even, like the masses who shouted crucify him shortly after singing Hosanna in the highest. But this is how Jesus, the master, this is how he did evangelism in his time. So next we have the sower, 
And the sower is not God, as some people might think, but rather the evangelist, the church. He is fulfilling his duty to spread this seed evenly across the field to maximize the chance of producing good crops. He knows that not every area will produce it, but he is faithful to the task. When we share the word, we do so not to be successful, but to be faithful to what Jesus commanded us to be, commanded of us. Let's quickly read a similar parable, a little later on in Mark 4, the parable of the growing seed. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. It is God who will grow the seed. It is God who will provide the nurturing elements for this seed. The Christian, the sower's job, is merely to plant it. Just over a week ago, as I mentioned, Carlin and I were on our honeymoon, and we were spending our last night over at the Gold Coast. While we were there, we encountered two street preachers, a man named Des and his wife, who unfortunately, her name, we, uh, we didn't quite catch. And they were handing out these tracks, just these ones here. They're in different languages too, so he had Spanish ones, he had Korean ones, Chinese, English, and he was telling us that they'd been doing this for more than 30 years. It was a really encouraging story to hear that someone would be out there sharing to people who they don't know their journey or their faith, but they did so in faithful mission. Des's wife shared a story actually about how a young girl a few years back had approached them telling them that about a year before that, she had gone to Service Paradise and had seen them speaking. At the time, she was contemplating suicide. But because Des and his wife spoke to her, shared the gospel, one year later, she was still alive and she had also surrendered her life to Christ. That there is a story of physical and spiritual saving. And who knows just how much more people have been saved due to Des's faithful work. It wasn't him who did it. He wasn't the one who truly saved them, but he was faithful in planting that seed. As Christians, we are called to be the sower. And in future discussions, we may even talk about how we can better equip ourselves at scattering the seed. But today, I want our final focus to be on the soil. The four different areas where the seed lands are the only variables in this parable. They represent the different states of hearts of those who will hear the word. It's not necessarily an indication that one in four people will be saved. As we saw in the very first place, the pathway, that is, if anything, the majority of the world, the unbelievers, those who reject the word of God. They are the ones who ignore the word and will never take root in their hearts. The hearts represented by the stony ground and the thorny ground, they're harder to discern. They're harder to tell apart from the good soiled hearts. Both these kinds of hearts will take in the word and sometimes they'll take it in with joy but the state of their hearts stops them from bearing fruit, whether that means they quickly fall away from the faith or the worries and desires of life distract them from it. The parable of the sower is not a lesson for the world. It's a lesson for the Christian. It's a lesson for the follower of Christ. Let's remember that Jesus told this parable not to the Gentiles. He told it to the Jews, whose traditions hinged on their relationship with God. We've been given the explanation to, the, to understand the parable's true meaning. And so we have a responsibility to carry out its teachings, such as looking at the state of our own hearts. After all, as mentioned before, there will be greater judgment for those who understand the word but do not take action on it.
So today we are asking ourselves, are you a stony ground Christian whose faith may not be deeply rooted? Perhaps something has happened to you or a loved one and you are currently questioning how God could be real and uh, still let this sort of suffering occur. Perhaps you are new in your faith with questions that cannot yet be answered and the people around you are not able to answer them either. Perhaps it's time that you really dive into the word of God before your faith is scorched by this particular trial. Are you the thorny ground Christian who may attend church? They may do Bible study each week. They may tick a box in their good Christian to-do list by doing these things. But do you actually live a life at home or at work or with friends that genuinely honors God? Or is your walk in faith distracted by life's worldly worries about what's happening at work or with your friends or being distracted by the pleasures of life or of the gain for money for other things, material things? Think about what might be distracting you from God today. I want you to know that I am not accusing anyone here to be a stony grounded Christian or to be a thorny grounded one because only God knows the true state of your heart at this time. After him, the next best person to assess it is you. If we have the humility to call ourselves repentant Christians, then we need to have the humility to check the state of our own hearts before we can faithfully carry out the master's work, lest there be judgment uh, when it's too late for us to figure that out. So today I ask you to examine your heart and make sure you are of good soil, just as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians to the church. Are your day-to-day -day actions honoring God? Are you bearing good fruit that others can see the light that is in you? Or are you distracted by the world? Are you relying on shaky faith and shaky doctrine that God is, is a genie in the bottle waiting uh, to answer your prayers? When you examine your heart, I hope you will find that you have not failed the test. But if you do, my prayer today is that this message may be used to till your heart to becoming good soil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful opportunity to hear your word, to really dive deep into what you have to say for us. Lord, you've given this message today to every single one of us to examine, to examine our hearts because you do not desire any of us to be unsaved. You wish for all of us to be with you. And this is our opportunity to really take humility, be humble, and just really observe ourselves and how we are living our day-to-day -day lives. So Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us here today that we'll be able to further reflect on your word, further reflect on our lives, and pray our way to being that good soil and really putting you first and into our hearts. This I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more podcasts and for more information on Every Nation Canberra, please visit everynationcanberra.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra and on Instagram at instagram.com slash encanberra. We meet every second and fourth Sunday at 104 The Valley Avenue, Gungalin. Would you like to be connected to a tag group? Email us at everynationcanberra at gmail.com.